You are Locked On Blue Jays, your daily podcast on the Toronto Blue Jays, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Blue Jays fans, and welcome to Locked On Blue Jays, your daily dose of Toronto Blue Jays talk directly into your brains, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, and sometimes twice a day in this case. I'm your host, AJ Andrews of jaysfromthecouch.com, and I'm not going to lie, I am excited. Ex- excited as I've been for an episode in a while. Um, we have a lot to talk about in Blue Jays land, and I did my best to do so yesterday um, on our special emergency Sunday night podcast, but I'm, I'm only one woman. I, I can only do so much. I, I need help. And just going through everything that happened. Like, like we we barely talked about Sogard and Bichette. And I I feel like we need some time to fully digest everything that's happened with the Blue Jays. And I could use some help. So today, I am pleased as punch to welcome onto the podcast someone who I've gotten to know very well in the past month or so. Um, someone who is taking the time to join me despite the terrible internet connection out here in Nova Scotia. Uh, that someone is from Sportsnet 590, the fan from Sportsnet.ca, from a bunch of Blue Jays coverage. Mr. Scott MacArthur is on the podcast today. Scott, how are you? AJ, I I have to be honest. I've I've had a bit of, bit of a busy week, week and a bit. <clears throat> I can uh, imagine. This is the this is the podcast I've been most looking forward to doing. So Aww. let's uh, let's dive right in. I'm so appreciative you'll have me. Ah, uh, that that is so sweet of you to say. I am like like for the listener at home. I'm I'm kind of blushing, but that's that's well, why. Well, hey, you there. you helped to pave the way for me. So I remember I remember giving you a bit of a tease when we were communicating on. Twitter. I think we were DMing like maybe a week and a half or two before my video. And I said, you never know who you're helping. Wait and see. (laughs) (laughs) And that was around the time I'd started to plan the, the whole process of what came to be uh, my coming out. So um, that was my little tease for you there. I wondered if you'd picked up on anything. I will, will be honest. I did. I did see that. I'm like, Oh, you're not like, I, I did my best not to swear there, and I'm very proud of myself, but <laughs> I I did pick up on that. I'm like, oh, Scott, Scott, actually, like, like I figured you were in the rainbow in, in some way. Didn't want to make any assumptions, um, but I am so, like, when you, when you actually said that and when you, when you messaged me that and told me, like, the impact that I had that was that was so huge and I can't thank you enough for that because like you you wonder like who's actually reading and who actually sees that sort of thing and the fact that you know I I could help you in in your path like it it was it was legit mind-blowing so thank you for those well just just think of it this way AJ if I happen to have the opportunity in my life to have some degree of a platform. So if you helped me think of how many people who don't have as 
loud or as big of platforms to sort of share important information about themselves who you're also helping. For every one of me, there are probably hundreds, if not thousands of others. So you deserve a lot of credit for having the courage and bravery to to come out and share your truth the way that you did in mid-June. I, uh, like I said, I wouldn't call it courageous. I'd just call it finally being myself. So. Amen. I'm, I'm with you a thousand percent <laughs> on that. I was like, this is the, it. It must have been so difficult for you. No, actually saying it was really easy because if anybody wants to come back at me with any negativity, your words cannot possibly hurt me more than the damage I did to myself by hiding my nature for like, because I'm 40 years old, for like 27 and a half, maybe 28 years. Like, I'm just ready to put it on the table and get on with living. And that, that was, I, I think we've talked enough off air that I, I don't want to speak for you, but I feel pretty comfortable suggesting that that was a lot of what you wanted to accomplish as well. I mean, it's, it's really not about being some sort of beacon or trailblazer, although it's nice if you hear from people that you have helped but it really was um, in some ways and not, this is such a negative, this is a word that seems to have such a negative connotation all the time. I don't intend it to have it here, but in a lot of ways it was a selfish move on my part. Mm. Like I just, I just had, I just had to do this for me and I'll worry about advocacy and activism and, and areas of interest as time goes on and my new normal sets in. But I don't know how you feel about it. I just I just needed to do this to release my burden. And then whatever comes from this, that'll just play itself out. Yeah, no, exactly. And and I've said as much on this podcast, like every time I had to say my previous name on here, it, it felt like I was just, you know, kind of kind of poking at myself with a dagger just every time. Like, I don't even believe the words I'm saying about myself right now. So to be able to finally, you know, be truthful and be, be open about it. Like it's, it's just been so, so much more liberating and freeing and healthier for me. And I'm, I'm no, you, you've said as well that it's healthier for you to be able to do that. And like that, I think that's just a main thing to take away from, from both our stories. Like we, we aren't trying to, to change the world. We're just trying to be ourselves. Yes. And, and I think if there's one thing and I've always, you know, it's weird that I say this now because obviously I was omitting the most crucial piece of information about my core being, but I always tried to be authentic. In, in shows that I did, particularly on shows where I would discuss previous mental health challenges. Mm. The things that I talked about experiencing and going through actually happened as I described them. The only thing I didn't say at the end was, oh, and it happened because I was a deeply closeted man who was trying to hide my truth and my brain was starting to go squirrely on me because, because I was like, I had this flight mentality. I, if you're not going to be real, then you've got to escape. You've got to run away from life, you know, that sort of thing. Um, so I, I, if there's like any one message I take away, and it, it's not about um, sexual orientation or gender identity, uh, it, although it can be. What I want to say is it's not limited to that. In life, if you are authentic 
about who you are and you are authentic with the people most closest to you. And these are people you have to feel comfortable being authentic with. I understand that not everybody is a good soul and not everybody um, isn't looking to take advantage of you and capitalize on any uh, perceived vulnerability. But if you are authentic in your life, which is to say you keep no secrets of any consequence, I think we all probably tell white lies at times through the week. I mean, that's, but, but I'm talking about like on matters of consequence. If you are authentic in your life and you are not lying, you, you just, there is a freedom to that. And it allows you to be uh, a looser person, a freer person. And in turn, what I would hope is, is for you, for me, for whomever, you become a better person, which makes you a better son or daughter or um, aunt or uncle or parent or friend. It makes you uh, a better writer or a better broadcaster or a better whatever it is that you do in your life, whatever your profession is. It, when you put your life together, uh, by acknowledging your core and sharing it authentically, there, there's nothing that can bring you down. And, and, and so authenticity is the one message. And I, I don't speak from an ivory tower. Um, a thousand yards up and a thousand yards away, lord it over the populace. I say, I was a guy who lied by omission for more than a quarter century. I have experience in not being authentic. I could write a book on it. My experience with being authentic since starting the coming out process a little more than four years ago, which has staggered itself over time and culminated with my video a week ago Saturday that I shared publicly on my social media accounts, authenticity will change your life. If you are authentic, your life will change for the better. That, that was beautiful, Scott. I, I, I don't think I could have said it better myself. I seriously. Um, it's, but they can't bring you down, AJ. <laughs> I know. Like, I'm who just... can bring you down now? Um... Like, can, you tell me who can bring you down with you living in your truth. Um, Blue Jays fans I mean, reacting to the Marcus Stroman trade. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I I was trying really hard to think how to segue from something so beautiful to something so divisive, but <laughs> okay, yeah. But, um, right. Well, we can go back to arguing about baseball if you want. We can definitely do that. <laughs> I I there's no common ground there. For a change of pace, let's let's really get into it, because um yeah for for everyone who somehow missed what happened with the Blue Jays yesterday. I don't know how you could have missed everything. You would have had to pull like some matrix moves to avoid all the news coming from Blue Jays land yesterday. But obviously the big one was Marcus Stroman being dealt to the Mets, which is a, a remarkable little bait and switch that got pulled on Marcus Stroman. Oh, Marcus, you're going to New York. Great. I'm playing for the Yankees. Um... Pack your bags for Queens, which about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good luck there. Um, I know it caught like so many people by surprise. Just a destination for for Marcus Stroman, Scott. Um, what did you think about this? Because like when I when I first saw it, I'm like, what is New York doing? And then I remembered it's the Mets. They're doing Mets things, but really, what are they doing? Well, I think they're 
they're looking to supplement a starting rotation that will probably be without Zach Wheeler by or before four o'clock Eastern time on Wednesday, the trade deadline and less likely, but still not impossible. Uh, the, the, the moving on of Noah Syndergaard. So that I guess is the, the shortest explanation from the Blue Jays perspective. You know, my reaction on the radio this morning was it's not July 31st yet. Like, why don't, if you have the Mets deal there and, and that's what New York is going to give you for Marcus Stroman. Now the Mets could move on if you don't do the deal today or yesterday. I understand that. But if that deal, generally speaking, is there, why don't you circle back and, and check with all the other teams and are the other teams willing to ramp up their offers? Now let's then just presume that Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro did that. Maybe this, maybe this was the best deal they could get for Marcus Stroman. I, I don't, I don't know because I, I don't like you, I was not in the room or privy to the text conversations or the phone conversations that, that no doubt have been had ad nauseum um, over the last number of weeks. But what if this is the best deal the Toronto Blue Jays could get for Marcus Stroman? What if Marcus Stroman as productive a pitcher as he is, um, has a battered enough reputation around the game that teams are hesitant to give up a boatload for a guy with that personality who is not like a straight up ace. You know, he's an ace on a bad team. He'd be a two or a three on a really good team. And, and maybe just maybe this is the best that Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins could do. I don't know. But I think that that's a possibility we have to consider that maybe in Toronto, um, especially among the Marcus Stroman lovers in Toronto, we know that not everybody in Toronto or across the country who cheers for the Blue Jays loves Stroman. He's a controversial, polarizing guy. But, but maybe the people who love Marcus Stroman have to acknowledge, geez, maybe his value around baseball is not as high as the value that we as Stroman fans place in him. Yeah, and I I do think that's actually something that should be taken into account, especially with Blue Jays fans, who I've seen over over the past night and day just bemoan the dismantling of that playoff team that they fell in love with in 2015 and, and 2016, about how, oh, they let... Edwin go and Jose go and and Tulo got got cut and like Tulo just retired. Jose Bautista can't get on with a team. Josh Donaldson spent last year injured. Like there there was never going to be the value that Blue Jays fans had for those players that other teams were going to see because the, it, Toronto is a very sentimental sports town, especially with guys that bring them glory. I mean, heck, they still trot out the 93 Maple Leafs, and what did they do? Get the semifinals? Of, <laughs> yeah, the, the Western Cup? Conference final, you're right. Yeah, Exactly. So yeah. so that that kind of inflated value in Blue Jays' minds, I think, I think plays into that. Because, yeah, if you flipped it on the other side and looked at Mets fans, they're ticked. They're not happy they gave up Simeon Woods Richardson in this deal. And, and admittedly, when I first looked, 
at the prospects that the Mets had to offer when we didn't know the package. I'm like, this, okay, their top three guys are shortstops and third basemen. We don't need those. So you're, you're going with sub 100 pitchers for Marcus Stroman. But, you know, mm-hmm. when, when you actually look into some of those, the two guys that they got, Anthony Kay and Simeon Woods Richardson, who I'm just going to call SWR right now because that's <laughs> the way Blue Jays fans operate. Ask Sean Reed Foley. So, yeah. so, so you look at what they kind of bring. And I'm, I'm actually going to give another blogger credit. Brandon Panikar, um said this on Twitter as well. They, those two fit into the wave system that the Blue Jays have been building up with pitching. Um, that first wave you're kind of seeing right now with Jacob Wagsback and Trent Thornton and Thomas Pannone and Ryan Barucki all in the major leagues. And then you have this wave two building. You're Nate Pearson, who, who's tearing up double A. TJ Zoik, who's finally up in Buffalo. K kind of slots in there. And then you have that third wave that has Manawa and Pardino and SWR. And uh, Shai Davidi actually posted something earlier today. Um, it was either earlier today or last night. I know I read it, but <laughs> it was um, it was kind of kind of detailing that that long term plan that the Blue Jays had in getting this value for Stroman. That you know Stroman has value now, but not to Toronto. So it, in a long winded way, I think you're right that they did what they wanted to do. In, in flipping Stroman to try, kind of fit into that pattern that they're building. And, and like I, I was a Stroman lover as well. I wanted them to re-sign him. But given the breakdown between Stroman and the front office, and judging from reports from the Blue Jays clubhouse, it was a heck of a breakdown. It, it, it does strike me as, as kind of making the best case scenario. They were never going to get Glaber Torres. They were they were never gonna no. get anyone like that from the Yankees or or the Twins. The Twins are going out bargain shopping. They just got Sergio Romo for like their thirtieth prospect. So they I don't think the Twins were that serious either. It was it was gonna be Atlanta or or another suitor like New York. And I I think you're right that they they got the best they could because I don't think Atlanta would have would have offered the prospects in their pitching system that fit what the Blue Jays wanted to do. Yes. And I, I, I mean, I think the counter is you said one name there, Nate Pearson. And then after that, uh, there are a bunch of people. Now it's good that there are a bunch of people because out of more people on a percentage basis, there is a better likelihood that some of those people will work out Mm. where I think, the challenge is going to lie, um, and this is the next step to come at some point, and I don't know if it's the 1920 offseason. I don't know if it's sometime next season. I don't know if it's in the 2021 offseason. But the next challenge will be when you have a deep prospects pool, when you have a minor league system flush with guys who um, either pitch or have a background in the middle infield, and the Blue Jays, as we know, have focused on shortstops because they know that those are easily pliable athletic guys who can move around the diamond. Not everybody's going to play shortstop for you. There's only one shortstop at the big league level um, on on any given uh, or in any given lineup in any given game. But it, the next challenge will be 
okay, we've got six of our eight position players addressed heading into 2020. Let's just, you know, understanding that things can change. But as we understand it to be right now, Vladdy at third, Bo at short, Kavan at second, Lourdes in left. Um, I always have to sort of like clear my throat, <coughs> Randall Grichik in right. Um, and then, and then, and then Danny Jansen, you know, there's a positional core there that, that is intriguing. Mm. Now, um, who will pitch beyond Nate Pearson? Well, at some point in the next year plus, uh, before the 2021 season starts, I want to see Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins take the next step and use some of that prospect capital to go out and acquire major league talent, major league talent that has some salary attached to it, major league talent that in some degree of a sample size has accomplished something in the big leagues to either add to the core or to supplement the core of this young baseball team. And there are many different ways to build a ball team. Draft and develop is a crucial part, not just because some of those guys will come up and play for you, but because some of those guys will also be tradable assets. Hmm. And you need to determine, okay, who do we not want to move? Like they'd have to knock our socks off for us to include this guy in a package. Then we have guys we like who we'd prefer not to move but who we are willing to trade in the right deal. Um, and then we've got guys who we're kind of meh on, and maybe we can package one or two of them up in a broader deal before everybody else has them figured out. Now, that's harder to do in this day and age with all the data, with all the eye tests, with all that stuff. Teams are not lacking in information about other clubs' minor league systems. It's hard to keep secrets now. But there are, I guess back to my original point, there will be different avenues for Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins to explore in terms of how to add to supplement this core. Now that the big league service time clocks of a lot of their um, most highly thought of prospects or really almost all of their highly thought of prospects. Now that those big league service time clocks have begun because Bobichet arrives tonight as you and I sit here and visit now, AJ, Hmm. on Monday, July 29th, the clocks have begun to tick. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's nice that, a um, you know, an SRW or whatever, um, is, is, is in the conversation, but if he's five years away because he's 23 years old in five years, um, Vladdy and Bo and these guys are going to be into their mid to late arbitration eligibility seasons. Hmm. So you're going to have to you're going to have to use some of this capital to trade to make this team better. And I'm eager to see how the front office goes about that over the next 18 months or so. Also, just a note for the front office, Edwin Jackson does not count as major league talent. Do better. <laughs> sorry. Sorry <laughs> to say, but that's not what we're looking for. <laughs> you want to you want to go bring Matt Boyd back. That's a little more. That's a little more in the in the range there, but um, yeah, I I I do like your point about out using all this prospect capital now. Like like when I was looking for the Blue Jays prospects, like there there was there was palatable talent there that hasn't been seen since the spending spree of 2015 when Alex Anthopoulos 
shoved all in and and used all the capital for that for those two runs and seeing seeing all that and and seeing the the positional redundancies as you pointed out a lot of short stops in that organization um it's i i wonder if the fan base is going to give Shapiro and Atkins enough time like like I mean they're they're already at their throats already I'll, I'll, I've seen way too many people like this is a last draw Shapiro and Atkins tearing down his team I wonder if they have enough time to be able to enact that or or that when Toronto starts winning again and it'll all be forgiven just like it was with Alex Anthopoulos once that 2015 run hit and everyone conveniently forgot he gave up Noah Syndergaard for R.A. Dickey but hmm. well, I mean, I think to your point, AJ is I, I don't know if it really matters if the fan base is all in with Mark and Ross. It really matters what ownership is in with. Hmm. Um, and, and, you know, Ross Atkins, I believe it was Ben Nicholson Smith six to eight weeks ago reported that Ross Atkins signed a one year contract extension that carries him through to the end of next season. So if, if his contract is now in line with Mark Shapiro's, do they both get re-upped this offseason such that they don't go into next season as quote-unquote lame ducks? Like, where, where is that headed? Yeah. So, I mean, that's, a, that's another storyline that you and I can't answer any questions to here, but where does it go? Um, because if, 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 it is believed that these two are entering the final years of uh, their respective deals, the final year of their respective deals in 2020. And there is no resolution um, in terms of an extension. Then that is, that is going to, if if nothing else, create conversation, Mm. uh, create more questions that need answering, et cetera. So there, there are a lot of like movable, pieces here and i'm not entirely sure how it's all all gonna look over time i really don't Mm. i i don't think anyone really does know how it's gonna look because again if we if we did have that i mean i would be i don't know about you but i'd be like going on proline and like just raking all that money in maybe i could afford a better headset that I didn't have to spend aeroplane miles on, but, <laughs> um, but, but no, I, I think you're right that we, we can't begin to answer those questions now with the data that we do have. All we can really judge is, is the plan that's in place. And it looks like there's a plan, which I mean, I will take that over, over some of the Blue Jays days of the mid two thousands when it's like, okay, what, what is happening with this team? what why why is Corey koski here like that sort of thing huh. so yep uh, um, why is Corey koski here yeah no. <laughs> he's canadian yeah he was a pretty good ball player in his day but not not when right, the blue jays was, had him <laughs> that's right he was toward the end and injuries had caught up exactly um we will talk about some players whose careers are just beginning and some other ones who just ended their tenure with the Blue Jays right after this break. You are Locked On Blue Jays, 
your daily Toronto Blue Jays podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, we are back. I am joined by Scott MacArthur of Sportsnet, who is graciously taking the time to join me and and discuss many, many Blue Jays topics that have popped up over the past couple days, because, again, I cannot do this by myself. And Scott is a lot better at it than I am. So... Um, no, 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 no. <laughs> Come on. Um, I, I appreciate the compliment, but no, let's not let's not fight. <laughs> That's true. That's true. There, <laughs> we we can we can fight about many other things. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, one thing we didn't touch on with Marcus Stroman's trade is the overall kind of how he goes down in the annals of Blue Jays lore, and. Again, I'm I I was a defender of Strowman. I I appreciated him for everything that he did and just the way I I appreciate the way he pitched cuz I think it introduced something that more pitchers should be using playing with timing um just just introducing more variables into the system and I I did love him for that. Um how do you see Marcus Strowman being remembered? In, in the scope of Toronto sports? Well, um, that is, you know, I, I said this on the radio this morning. It was three weeks ago today that we were dealing with the aftermath of the Kawhi Leonard exodus to Los Angeles. And whatever you felt about Kawhi leaving, it's kind of indisputable how you feel about how his time in Toronto went. I mean, guy shows up, spends 10 months here, guy deposits the greatest moment in professional basketball history in this country, guy moves on. Hmm. Um, Team takes on guy's personality, and it never really feels gets out of control in in the finals against a dynastic team like the Golden State Warriors, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. With Stroman, I think it really depends on what perspective you're coming from if you look at his performance on the mound and I like AJ a lot of what you said like Marcus Stroman for me it's there's some irony in the fact that two of the biggest games he started for this team he ended up being usurped for the spotlight in those two games so if I say to you 2015 American League Division Series, Game 5, the deciding game against the Texas Rangers. What is your response? Craziest thing in the history of baseball, Jose Bautista bat flip. Yep. Well, we need to look back in the box score a little bit and remember that Marcus Stroman started John Gibbons wanted Marcus Stroman to have the ball in the deciding fifth game. Now, factor everything else in. This is a Marcus Stroman at that time who was 24 years old. Is a Marcus Stroman who blew his ACL out full tear earlier that in March in spring training and had only been back in for about two and a half, three, maybe three and a half weeks at that point because he returned in September. So, first of all, he came back incredible. And then, you know, to, to be the guy that the skipper wants in the crucial deciding game, um, is, is, is even more incredible. 
he um, and, and Brett Cecil had torn his calf and Aaron Loop was um, experiencing that very difficult personal situation. And thank goodness his, his, his baby boy has pulled through and is healthy. But Aaron Loop had to leave the team to, to deal with that very sensitive and important personal matter. So John Gibbons didn't have a left-hander in the bullpen. He needed David Price to go down to the pen and relieve R.A. Dickey in game four. And Gibbons was okay with doing that because he wanted Stroman to be his game five guy anyway. So, so that's that. Fast forward about a year later, and if I say to you, 2016 wild card play-in game, what do you remember? Edwin Encarnacion walking off Ubaldo Jimenez as the great genius Buck Showalter leaves his closer <laughs> Zach Britton stapled to a chair in the bullpen. Um, what do you forget when answering that question? Who started that game? Stroman. And who pitched well? Marcus Stroman. So there is a bright lights, a big game willingness and ability in Marcus Stroman. Mm. Um, on the, on the, uh, th- this is somebody who, and I'm actually, it's going to sound like I'm being negative. I, I don't, I don't intend it to be, but because he's not the first or the last to do this, but he is somebody who grew up uh, hearing about how his size was going to prevent him from being the pitcher that he has become. And, and so uh, Marcus has taken the approach and I don't know how much of it is a conscious decision versus a reaction to what goes on in his subconscious, but he uh, creates enemies. And so if there is no enemy uh, at hand, he must make one. And, and whether that is uh, a member of the media who he perceives uh, has slighted him, whether that is a, a teammate, whether that is um, a, a buddy in his inner circle, whether that is whoever, um, he needs to create the me versus you or me versus them. And you see it a lot in his social media posts. He needs to create that, that kind of battle uh, mm-hmm. because it helps him get into the area I think that he needs to get to. I do think there is some unhealthiness reflected in some of the social media posts. I, I, I think a lot of people who buy into this stuff would see, hey, kids, don't let them, quotations, or they, quotations, don't let them tell you you can't do things, da 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 hmm. Sometimes I read what he writes and I interpret it as, hey, kids, bottle up your rage for a lot of years to the point where it becomes an, an unhealthy toxicity inside you and then just erupt like a volcano one day. You know, like sometimes I change the narrative of what's actually typed there into what I'm interpreting, what I'm seeing. So he's a complex individual. Mm. He is a brilliant, he is a brilliant man. You do not go to Duke if you are stupid, even if you are a talented athlete. Um, He is a brilliant. So he, uh, again, tied to his um, intellect. He is very adept at the usage of social media at the uh, very adept at, at, at branding. Um, very complex guy, fascinating guy, um, and, and somebody without uh, whom the game would be more boring. And, you know, we always talk about wanting more personalities in, in sports. Marcus is somebody who you're on one side or the other with, and those types of players across all sports have existed previously. They exist now. 
and they will exist forever. And without them, it would be pretty milquetoast and pretty boring. Um, so I think to encapsulate all what I've said, and I'll repeat, he's a complex guy. Uh, but the one thing we do know is that you, me, and everybody else has an opinion one way or the other. There's not a lot of gray area with Marcus. You either are with him um, or you are, quote, one of them who are against him. Mm. Very well said. And I, I do want to want to add to that whole big game mentality that you mentioned with Stroman. Marcus Stroman is probably one of the only baseball players that you can say has made a mark on the international level because in, yeah. in that 2017 World Cup, um, going into that final game, and I, I was reminded of this um, when talking with a friend of mine who's from Puerto Rico, and she's like, oh, what... What are you uh, looking at right now? Like, oh, the Blue Jays are going to trade Strowman. And she's like, Strowman, I hate that guy because of huh. what Strowman did in the final to the Puerto Rican team. Uh, and he's half Puerto Rican as well. He could have been, he could have been for them. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, he, and he turns around and just shuts them down completely. And, and like you, you look at games like that where where the spotlight is bright, and and even the past couple couple games, the last two games he ended up playing for Toronto, when all the noise and all the spotlight was on, he had two of his best starts of the season, shutting down Cleveland and Detroit. He's a he's a guy who thrived on the spotlight, and and to to go back to what you said, whether or not he's creating that pressure on himself with with him against them mentality. The spotlight definitely doesn't do anything to dim that battle in his mind. And he, he seems to thrive on it, which, right. Which is kind of, I funny. mean, and you know, and AJ people don't, you know, they're like, Oh, the media, this and that. And um, the, you know, I remember last year, the incident at Fenway park before the all-star break with Arash Madani and uh, Arash is one of my closest friends in the industry. Mm-hmm. And the, the only where that incident could have been made public was Fenway Park because the visiting clubhouse is so small in such an old stadium that the Blue Jays in the last couple of years, they didn't used to do this, you used to actually be in the clubhouse, but the Blue Jays bring their players out um, into the concourse hmm. to address the media postgame. Um, and, you know, Arash, uh, with, with whom Marcus um, created a bit of history, um, Arash didn't have a role in that. It was just it was a decision Marcus made that Arash was one of the people who were against him. Um, I don't think it's, I'm not going to speak for Arash, but I don't think he spent two seconds in his own life worrying about whether Marcus Stroman is a success or not. Um, but again, that's, that's kind of the way the media is. We're not like our lives. We have lives, too. <laughs> like we're, we're not... <laughs> we're not sitting there obsessing over Marcus Stroman. Um, you know, we're worried about paying our bills and living our lives, but, but that incident bothered me. Um, and it bothered me for a variety of different reasons. Not, not just because Arash is my friend, but I don't, and, and, and whether this is Marcus or anybody else that, that we may have in our lives, I do not like it when someone mistreats another person uh, such that that mistreatment will result in negative feedback of said mistreatment. And then when that negative feedback is received by the mistreater, that person goes on 
and 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 believes that he or she is the aggrieved party. Hmm. Um, there's a very Trumpian um, uh, yeah. mo to that, where I mistreat you, you react to being mistreated, and then I say, "Oh, so you've always, you know, you've got a problem with me." No, no, no. Don't act like the aggrieved party when you've created the mess. Yeah. Um, and so that was bothersome to me. But again, um, this is what this is what the emotions of a moment can do or a tough start. Or the team was playing like crap at that time and 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 et cetera, et cetera. It just gets back to the complexities of of of, of each individual and, and some people can make it hard for us at times to want to try to understand them. Um, but, but Mark and a complex guy who um, I, I suppose has some real enemies, but also where he lacked them, tried to create them. Mm, exactly. And I, I appreciate the defense of good old churro boy, Arash Madani from, <laughs> yep. from my hometown. So yeah. I, I'm, I'm glad to hear, hear that kind of defense. And, and like you said, Strowman's going to be either you, you loved him or you hated him. And, you know, you will, you will take that in many different ways. Um, one person I don't think it can be argued that most people loved in his time with the Blue Jays was Eric Sogard, who also got moved on Sunday, which again was kind of overshadowed by by Strowman's deal. But similar, so I saw similar reaction, Scott, to to Strowman. Like, how could they trade Sogard? He's such an important part of the team, and it's like. He's a 33-year-old infielder on a minor league contract. The fact that you're getting anything for him is amazing. But well, it's not just that, AJ. They need they need to free up playing time for Bo Bichette. Exactly. I mean, you can't you can't sit there and say, "Where's Bo Bichette?" And on the flip side of the coin, be like, "I can't believe they're getting rid of Eric Soga." I mean, this is. This is about Bo- the Eric Sogard divestment is strictly about Bo Bichette. Mm. Um, you know, those, those two things are, are totally intertwined. You, you couldn't bring Bo up and have Kevin Biggio playing mostly second base, needing to find time for Eric Sogard and having Freddie Galvis man shortstop yeah. pretty much every day. You had to remove at least one from that log jam. They've got some kind of decision, and I know they hold a reasonable money-wise team option on Freddie Galvis for next year, and he's you know, had a nice season for them. Offensively, he is what he is. He's got some pop and, and, and not a lot else. Good defensive shortstop, good guy to have around the young kids. But this, this was about – so, you know, Shai Davidi, I think, reported that the Blue Jays are going to pick two pitchers out of – a four pack of, mm. of, of possible names. And they are all low, lower level guys who are effectively guys you'll take flyers on and, and who you hope work out. But this is all about getting Bo Bichette here and creating space for him to play. And, and so I guess the only thing I'm a little surprised at, because I had pegged it in my mind that, that Eric Sogard was a great national league pickup for a pennant, 
uh, contending National League team with all the double switches and the pinch hitting for the pitchers and the stuff that happens late in National League ball games. You would never mind uh, having Eric Sogard pinch hit for somebody. You would never mind having him enter the game in a double switch. If you go to extra innings, you wouldn't mind him uh, being out there defensively and, and manning a position for you and taking an 8-10 to 10 pitch at bat in the 12th inning, maybe getting on base and seeing what happens. And if he gets on a really good hot streak, you start starting him at second base or somewhere um, in, in crucial games. But um, I was not at all surprised he was moved, and it is all linked to Bo. Yeah, and, and there are a couple things I, I do want to add. First of all, um, the Rays are pretty much the most National League team in the American League. So Good he's, point. he's yeah. not exactly going out of his depth. And I, I wasn't surprised when Tampa Bay was announced as a suitor because I had Joey Wendell on my fantasy team and he's been injured or bad. So that utility slot was <laughs> open in Tampa Bay. So I would not be surprised if Wendell was sent back down and Silgard just took over there playing as he did with the Blue Jays, second, third, outfield, whatever. I think another point that gets lost though, Freddie Galvis actually can do that as well. When he came up with the Phillies, he was a utility guy as well. So he actually has major league experience in the outfield and at second base and at third base, he just, you know, became a shortstop because he's a good defensive shortstop and finding those with home run power is hard to find. So I, I don't see it as debilitating as I think a lot of Blue Jays fans who got attached to Sogard ended up seeing it, especially since, I mean, not to put this glibly, but Sogard was essentially Kawasaki 2.0. Let's, let's not get that twisted. Like, yeah, I mean, I think he's probably a better player than Munanori Kawasaki, but I, but I, um, I, I, I know the track you're, you're (laughs) taking there and I, I don't completely disagree, but yes, like he's a better player than Munanori Kawasaki, but uh, but he was a placeholder here. And as you you put it, a depthly top thirty three year old on a minor league contract who greatly outperformed. Oh yeah. Um, any expectation and AJ if if and it's an if and it it doesn't even matter if it doesn't happen, but if one of these two arms the Blue Jays are going to get from the race just happens to become something. That's like a home run. Like there's no loss in this deal for Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins. Um, but there's a potential win, whether it's likely or not is, is not even relevant. But there's at least the potential for a win. And, and if they have one good for them. Hmm. Um, but the key here is getting Bo the playing time. Yeah. And I, I did want to lead into Bo as we, as we kind of, well, we've blown well past the usual end time of this podcast, but honestly, I don't care. Because I'm just enjoying. You talk too much. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, the curse! It strikes again. <laughs> no, I'm I'm having way too much fun with this conversation, Scott. So um, we will lead into this. I I think Blue Jays fans learned their lesson from expecting too much from Bo Bichette with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and the and the slow start that he got off to in his major league career and, and obviously doing much better now. I mean, the series he had against Tampa Bay was pretty, pretty good. So the bat's starting to come around there, but with Bo coming up and especially coming off a week where he batted like Oh, 97, um, I think reasonable expectations are for Bo Bichette as he embarks 
and starts the clock on his major league playing career? You mean for the rest of this year or let's, you know, let's what go kind for of the, player do I think he'll be? Let's go for the rest of this year. Cause I, I think we all expect Boba to be at least a, a Nomar level shortstop back when Nomar was in his heyday. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, I think like I'd be content. I just want to see the kid get his feet wet, mm. you know, and, and, and get used to the day in day out grind and, we know the way the Blue Jays do things that, that that there will be days of rest for him, and and that those will be important. Um, I mean, I, I think it's just really hard right now to to say this is what I need to see the batting average that add, or this is the disparity between the batting average and the on base percentage that I would like to see. Um, defensively, uh, you know, can he field the shortstop position well? Um, can he get the ball across the diamond? He has worked so hard on all facets of his defensive game. And he, I remember he was telling me in spring training, like I took countless ground balls every day, all winter. Like just, he just, he put the time in. And, you know, I, I've relayed this story before, but I'll, I will say it here. Um, I had an opportunity to, to interview Bo for a pregame show. Um, not long after I started the fan 590, um, in down in spring training and we, we did, you know, 10 minutes or whatever. And he was telling me about his game and, you know, the experience he had had with his father, Dante being the hitting coach of the Rockies in 2013. And there he is, as like a 14, 15 year old. And he said, that's when I, I knew I could be a big league ball player because in batting practice, I was hitting home runs, um, as far as like Troy Tulowitzki and Todd Helton and these guys, like, I don't know, still there, but he was he dropping a couple of names of, like, like, Carlos Gonzalez, like some pretty good ball players yeah. back in the day for the Colorado Rockies, or earlier back in the day, sounds way far back, like <laughs> when Dante and Larry Walker were in the Rockies outfield, earlier on this decade. That's when I liked and, the Rockies, because Larry Walker. Yes, and, and yeah, and Galarraga, the former Expo, and all that, but... Um, so uh, the microphone, you know, shut the microphone off and, and there was an equipment dealer uh, just a little further down who needed a bit of Bo's time. So I, I didn't have a lot of time to shoot the breeze with him um, past when the microphone uh, went off and the recording device was shut off. But I just, I looked at him, this was late March. And I said, Bo, I just hope you know, um, for whatever it's worth, I'm just, you know, some media guy, but I, how much fun it has been to watch you play all spring because he was getting into most spring games, mm. you know, even he was on almost every travel roster uh, away from Dunedin. Um, and if he wasn't spring, he was typically, typically getting in in the fifth of the sixth inning. So he'd get an AB or two um, getting his reps at shortstop, um, you know, running the bases, et cetera, et cetera. And, and he thanked me and then kind of went off uh, to see this equipment guy and, I don't know. I, I say it's like 45 minutes. It could have been a little sooner. It might've been a little later, but I walked into the media workroom uh, around the corner and a lot of people from a lot of different outlets were there uh, writing stories, doing whatever. And I just remember Jeff Blair was in an, in his laptop, clearly doing some work. And he just sort of casually looked up. And, and the whole room could hear him. He's kind of looked at, he said, you know, I, I just, I just been thinking about this in the last few minutes. 
I can't remember the last time I've enjoyed watching someone play baseball as much as I've enjoyed watching Bo Bichette play baseball this spring. And I, I looked at him. I said, well, it's weird you bring that up. Just told the kid that 40 minutes ago. Um, so it, it's, um, I, I bring that up just to say, I, I don't know what it's going to look like. Um, he's, he's making his debut tonight, um, presumably. Um, he's uh, going to get into, uh, what, 40, 50 games here between now and the end of the season. It's hard to know what it's actually going to look like over the next 40 to 50 games, but there's a flair to his game. There's a style to his game. He, quote, looks like a ball player. Um, he's obviously got the pedigree, not unlike Cavan, not unlike Vladdy. I, I think people are really going to enjoy him. And if we're talking in 15 years, AJ, and we say to each other and mean it that in terms of being an all around player, Bo turned out to be the best of this lot. I would not be surprised. Mm. Yeah. I, um, I think, I think that joy that you mentioned watching Bo Bichette play is, is actually going to be very important for the rest of the season, given, you know, what else is on the field for the Blue Jays. But that that does actually make me um I don't know if it was my expectations coming in like like again I'm I just want to see Bo go out there um kind of just work through much like Vladdy did work through what um he has to do at the major league level in a low pressure situation so that when when the time comes he is ready for it and I, I do agree with you that all around, Bo does have the chance to be the best player out of, out of this bunch because, again, we don't know if Laddie's going to stick at third base, if they're eventually going to move him over to first because, because of his defense. So I think a lot of people would take that, would, would take a Bo Bichette that, that able to do that, able to bring that player to the game, able to you know, do, do all the little things, as you mentioned, he's been working on and, and just kind of translate that. And I, I think that would give a lot of hope to this fan base, which I, I think is what is necessary for them moving forward. Absolutely. And, you know, it gets back to what we were talking about earlier, just with the positions, you know, the positional uh, allotments heading into 2020, like you, you think with a young team that is in a rebuild or at some stage of a rebuild, you think to yourself, well, gee, it's going to be a lot of competition. There's a lot of possibility. Well, like six of the eight spots mm. are effectively accounted for heading into Dunedin next year, barring injury and the unforeseen and, and all of those things that we can't predict as we sit here today. But like if it's Vladdy at third and Bo at short and Kevin at second and, and Lourdes in left and, and Gritchick in right and Danny the catcher, Okay, so, so you know, like, Teoscar Hernandez needs to hit the baseball here over the final two months of this season. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be handing him anything right now. I mean, are, are there positive signs? Okay, but I don't need a few games of it. I need a lot of games of it. Um, and then at first base, what are you going to do? Well, first base has become kind of a pliable position. You can stick an athlete at first base. You can put a bunch of people at first base and move people around the diamond. Ross Atkins, Jalopin hear him talking about how 
they aspire to be the Houston Astros or they aspire to be the Los Angeles Dodgers, where you have more people who are capable of starting in Major League Baseball than you have number of positions. And, you know, Roberts in Los Angeles, the manager of the Dodgers, has talked about how it, it, it took time but was necessary um, through conversation and, and through proof that it works, convince some of his players that it was in their best interest to start every day, even though they're starting big leaguers. And, 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 and so, you know, the Jays aren't there yet, but that's, I think, where they'd like to get to. And the notion that, you know, you've got this sort of stodgy home hitting bomber who doesn't do much else playing first base, those days are gone the way of the dodo bird. Um, I think there's a lot to be encouraged by here positionally. Uh, our mutual friend, Brendan Panikar, who does deserve a, a tip of the cap for being smart enough to be a San Francisco 49ers fan like me. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, uh, um, you know, which means you can take him at his word um, that he has obviously complex thoughts. And when he puts them down on Twitter, um, they're coming from a highly educated place because of a selection of an NFL team, <laughs> um, his good judgment. Uh, but you know, as he lays out that pitching stuff. I, I still have my concerns um, about that, but you can see where you can see where this is headed. Mm. Are they going to get there? I don't know. Neither do you, but you can see where it's, it's going. And I do hope against hope. And I do believe that we are through the worst of it, where it's, let's just, um, you know, give Socrates Brito and Alan Hansen a number <laughs> of games. And, you I, know, let this, that, you know, that sort of stuff. I think we're through the worst of that type of um, phase of the rebuild, where it's like, oh, dear, you know, I think the worst of that's behind us. Yeah, I, d I don't think Ian Parmley is getting games anytime soon. No, <laughs> <laughs> which I I was definitely going over Alan Hansen because Alan Hansen got the biggest applause of his season last night when he replaced Bo in Buffalo. So that's and that's... that applause was not for Alan Hansen. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's all you need to right. know about his time with the Blue Jays. Um, I I think we do have to call time on this episode just just so I don't start getting into Simmons territory with the length of the podcast. But Scott, um, this has been an absolute pleasure to, I, I said it off the top. I mean, it. nothing has changed my opinion. This has been wonderful. I hope we can do it again in the future. And I, I usually do this at the end, but I think if most people are listening to this podcast, they already know where to find you, but just, just in case, you want to tell the people where they can see your work? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll start with my social media. Um, I, I need to keep it consistent more for my sake than for anybody else's. So I'm always at Scotty Mac. Thanks. Twitter, Instagram. Uh, I don't use Snapchat, but Scotty Mac thinks is my handle on Snap. Um, although don't expect to see anything from me there. And I very rarely open the app. Uh, I'm on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Uh, I am the host of Blue Jays Talk, although for a good portion of the summer months, I am doing fill-in show hosting. I've done the morning show. This week, as we sit here right now, I'm doing the 9 a.m. to 12 noon mid-morning show. 
I occasionally write for sportsnet.ca. You'll sometimes see my mug on TV on Sportsnet around the Blue Jays uh, coverage. So I'm kind of all over the place. And, uh, you know, I think it's pretty fair to say I'm a, a fortunate guy. A man of many communicative talents, to be sure. And again, I, I thank you so much for taking a, such a, a generous portion of your time to talk just Blue Jays and, and life in general. And again, Well, listen, you're a hero. You know that. <laughs> and you're too humble to say, yeah, shucks. But you are. And you led the way. And you were a large contributor um, to the courage in the final push uh, for me to get to the point that I've long noted, I uh, known that I've, I've needed to get to, and that is to acknowledge uh, publicly that I am a, a gay man um, and a proud one. And so I thank you for that. And look, um, as I've said, uh, I'll change the, the, the pronoun here from I to we, um, because I feel comfortable speaking on your behalf when I say this, we will advocate for our respective natures. And um, I'm a proud gay man. You are a proud woman. And uh, we move forward. Freaking right. It's all we can do. And, and that, that is the Nova Scotian in me just being like, nah, I'm not a hero. That's, that's, someone, that's someone else. Just, I'm, I, I know that's part of my nature. So thank you for, for helping, um, helping other people see see that and and being an advocate and again i look forward to to doing so as well um i should i should really briefly get my plugs in just in case um uh just a reminder if you're not following me already you can do so at a underscore j underscore andrews on twitter the underscores are there because twitter is dumb um like Scott, I'm not very active on Snapchat and I'm not very sna- active on Instagram either because I am a writer, not a photographer. So um, follow the podcast at Locked on Jays on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Subscribe to the podcast on Stitcher, Spotify, Himalaya, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get on podcasts purveyed to you, you can find Locked on Blue Jays. So please subscribe rate, review, do all that fun stuff. And again, my, my sincere thanks to Scott MacArthur for, for everything and, and being, being who he is. That, that's the best thing I can say. He's, he's a wonderful man. And I thank him again for, for being here with me today. Um, so yeah, that, that will do it on this supersize edition of the podcast. So for everyone at Locked On Podcasts, and for everyone at ChaseFromTheCouch.com, and for Scott MacArthur of Sportsnet, I'm AJ Andrews. Thank you all so much for listening to today's episode, and y'all take care. <laughs>